Well, we're jumping back into the book of Ephesians. We started a series. You guys remember this? wasn't that long ago. Living life in time. And I started talking about this because Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, was speaking about redeeming the time. He said you need to redeem the time. The days are evil. And uh, we began... Uh, looking at what else Paul had to say about that, and I, I called this little section Living Life in Time, uh, because we're creatures of time. We can't go forwards, we can't go backwards, right? We can't travel through time, and so knowing that we live moment by moment by moment should affect how we live. And Paul said specifically in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he said, look carefully then how you walk. Be careful how you walk, how you live your life, Right? He said, so be careful by this. And he says, redeem the time. Buy back the time. And um, we talked about some aspects that have to do with what, is it, what does it look like to buy back the time. Specifically, Paul said to know God's will. Know what God wants from you. And knowing God's will is less about knowing who you're supposed to marry and if you're supposed to buy this house or this car. Knowing God's will is more about what God reveals in His Word about how you ought to live. But now, we're going to look at a, the next verse in this section, where after he says, uh, Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He, he goes into another section. And, and it's a passage of Scripture that I think that you've probably heard before. In fact, most of you could probably quote the first part of this. But before I begin, I want to pray, and then we're going to jump into this passage of Scripture. Our Heavenly Father, I do want to ask before we begin that you would help us to... Um, be attentive to your word, or I pray that you would teach us today and help us to have our eyes open to your truth and uh, listening. Our ears are open as well. I pray that your spirit would be in this room, Lord, speaking through me, and be with those in this room that, Lord, your spirit would impact them and, and deliver truth to the heart. In your name I pray, amen. All right, here we go. This first verse, verse 18, you've probably heard before, and you probably could quote the first half of it, but the second half you probably mumble your way through because you're not really for sure what it means. Let's look at it. Verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Sound familiar? Anybody heard this one before? Raise your hand if you've heard this verse before. Yeah? Who's heard at least the first half of it? Something about that first half. Don't get drunk. Right? Clearly throughout Scripture, drunkenness is something that is condemned throughout Scripture. Right? Over and over again. And so our first point for today is simple. You ready for this? In fact, I bet all of you can obey it this morning. You ready? Point number one, don't get drunk. You guys can handle that this morning? Nobody's going to get drunk on me today, are they? Good, okay. This is easy. See, this is no problem. Now, it's important to note that it doesn't say don't drink wine. It just says don't get drunk, right? It's important. Let's think, let's think about this. What does the Bible actually teach about the consumption of alcohol? Well, let me give you some basic points here. First of all, number one, when you read the Bible and you read the word wine in the Bible... Wine means wine in the Bible. So every time you read the word wine in the Bible, it's talking about 
wine. Right? It's not talking about grape juice. Back in the 1800s and the early 1900s, there was a strong push in America to eliminate all alcohol. And so there were even some pastors that started adjusting the text of the scripture to say, oh, well, when it says wine here, it's actually talking about grape juice. I want to tell you right now, that is absolutely incorrect. When you read the Bible and you see it says wine, it's talking about wine. It had alcohol in it. Some people say, well, it was watered down wine. Well, historical evidence shows that at the most, if they added water to it, it was uh, an eighth wine to uh, like one part water or one part wine to, to seven parts water. That was at the most they ever did. That was extremely watered down. Usually it wasn't like that. And most of the time when you read the word wine, the Bible's talking about wine, right? So wine in the Bible um, is wine. Next, wine in Scripture, it goes along with this idea of blessing. Uh, over and over again throughout Scripture, when you see the word wine, it, it's kind of connected to this, con- this aspect of blessing. Now let me explain to you that wine was a blessing to them. See, you have this amazing thing that most of history they haven't had. It's called refrigeration. Right? And unless you lived in Siberia hundreds of years ago, there was no reliable refrigeration. And so instead of refrigeration, they had something called fermentation. Right? In fact, there's a lot of foods that we look at today that are, are a result of people not being able to refrigerate things and preserve things. So they learned how to make them edible still and preserved. And, and I personally feel like that was God's blessing on people. One example is why. How about cheese? You know, it's, what's happened? It's, it's, they've taken dairy product and allowed it to, to ferment and things like that. But wine was a blessing. It was a blessing. For most of history, wine is considered and connected to this idea of a blessing. And part of it is because they, they couldn't go down and get bottled water, could they? They couldn't go to the store and get a Diet Mountain Dew. Right? They couldn't go through a drive-up. I mean, what, what did they have to drink? They had wine, other fermented beverages. Even the pilgrims and the Puritans. You know the Puritans? You know, the Puritans. You know one of the first buildings that the Puritans built when they got to America? A brewery. Did you know that? The Puritans did that? Yeah. Well, that's all they had to drink. That was what they did regularly. Um, wine and even beer were seen as blessings from God. Let me, let me give you an example here. Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15 says this. Talking about God, it says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for, for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. And listen to this next line. And wine to gladden the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Or how about Ecclesiastes 10.19? Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. That's in the Bible. I bet you didn't know those verses were in there, did you? Now, obviously, there's some cautions involved, right? I mean, that's all they had to drink. There were some cautions involved, though. There's some dangers, clearly. And I think most of you know those dangers, don't you? In fact, some of you have fallen prey to those dangers at some point in your life. And so let's put this next one up. Dangers are associated with alcohol consumption in the Bible. It's seen as a dangerous thing. Uh, Proverbs 21 says this, Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. 
Now think about it from their perspective for just a minute. You're, imagine your only beverage consumption availability, aside from trying to purify water somehow, was wine kept in wineskins. And that's what everybody drank. You had no choice. That's what, it, that's what they gave everybody to drink, wine. But yet you knew that an abuse of this could be dangerous, right? It well, wasn't the same thing true of food. We still face that today, don't we? I mean, food, you've got to eat. But is an abuse of food, can that be dangerous to your health as well? Not, not the same kind of danger as abuse of alcohol, but definitely a dangerous thing. Listen to this passage. Proverbs 31 says this, verses 4 through 7. It uh, says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drink. And here's why. Lest they... Drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. And so you have on this one hand this, this idea, and for their culture and most of the history of the world, having alcohol as a regular part of everyone's diet, it was this constant thing they had to be aware of. See, we have the availability to just eliminate it entirely. But for most of the history of the world, thousands of years, they couldn't do that. That was just a regular part of every culture. Right, even early American culture, and and here in in Scripture we see, hey, you got to be careful. Don't want to drink a lot because you're gonna you don't want to forget what the decrees are. You don't want to abuse justice. But listen to the very next verse in Proverbs 31. Listen to what it says. He says, "Don't." It's not for kings, but then what's he say here? Please don't take this passage the wrong way. But listen to what the words of Scripture actually say. Give strong drink to the one who's perishing. And wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. I bet you didn't know that verse was in the Bible, did you? Interesting. Right? I, I want this to be a biblical church. We've got to look at what the Bible says. Now, could somebody abuse this verse? <laughs> I'm perishing. Give me a drink. <laughs> right? No. Let me, give you, let me give you another point. This is really important. Jesus drank wine. Jesus drank wine. Now, some of you, if you saw somebody drinking wine, you know, especially from the church, Jesus drank wine. Yeah. Listen to this passage. See, John the Baptist abstained from all wine because he'd taken a vow known as a Nazarite vow. And listen to what they said about John the Baptist and Jesus. It says, uh, this is Jesus speaking. He says, For John came neither eating or drinking. And they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man, referring to Jesus, came eating and drinking. And they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. What are they saying? They're seeing the eating and the drinking that he's doing. They're saying, you're abusing both those, Jesus. Look at you. You're just having a party. You're, you're eating. You're drinking. Now, obviously, Jesus wasn't getting drunk, clearly. But did he consume wine? Yes. Or how about this story? I love this story. There was a wedding that Jesus attended. Okay? Shows up at the wedding. Now, the typical custom for a wedding was to start off with the good wine, and as the partiers had had quite a bit over the course of the wedding, they're not going to care as much what they're drinking anymore, are they? 
And so if you, if you don't believe, you can read John chapter 2 that talks about this exact situation. And so they're actually running out of wine at this point. They started diluting it with water, and they're still running out. And so Mary was at this party, and she goes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, they're running out of wine. You don't want the party to go bad, do you? Now, of all the things that people have come up to Jesus and asked for, this is a strange request, but that's his mom, right? We're going to run out of wine. So Jesus says, you know, woman, what am I to do with you? Right, which he wasn't being disrespectful, but that's how you know he referred to her, and, and he, he he turns around, and he says, "Okay." She goes, "She." He doesn't say, "I'll do anything," but she just turns around to the servant and says, "Do whatever he tells you to do." That sounds like a mom, doesn't it? <laughs> she doesn't wait for him to answer; she just says, "Do what he tells you to do." So Jesus says, "Get these stone water pots, fill them to the brim." It says in John chapter two, "To the brim with water, fill them all the way up with water." And they go, "Okay," and they fill these. Stone jars up with water. It says, now I want you to take some out and serve it. Yeah. Well, I knew we were diluting everything down, but to serve just straight water, that seems a little extreme. But okay, she said to do whatever he says. So they do this and they take it out. Well, the, in those days they had a, a, like a master of ceremonies over things. And there was the, the guy that was in charge of the party. And he gets some of this water. And the Bible says this water, which had been turned into wine. Right? And he says... Man, you save the good stuff for the end. He said, most people give the good stuff at the beginning and the diluted stuff that has water added to it at the end. He said, and so think about this. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into an alcoholic beverage to serve at a party to people who had been drinking. It's interesting, isn't it? That's what happened in that story. What's this to mean? I mean, Jesus, or how about the fact that Jesus, in his plan for you to remember the new covenant of his blood, the beverage of his choice, for you to remember the blood that was shed on the cross, was it grape juice? What was it? The beverage of choice that he chose for us to remember him was wine. Now you're probably thinking, Matt, what, okay, what's, what's, where are you driving? Where are you going? What's going on here, Matt? What point are you trying to make? I'll get there. 1 Corinthians 11.25 says this, uh, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, right? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, unless you think, well, wait a minute, that, that cup, that could have been grape juice. But you have to understand, just a few verses earlier, Paul was getting on to the Corinthians because they were observing the Lord's Supper and they were having too much of the cup. And guess what was happening to them? They were getting drunk. Now think about that for a second. There was a church in the city of Corinth that when they did the Lord's Supper, they must not have had the little glass cups that we had, right? They were getting drunk at church. Now obviously that was wrong. And Paul got he said, what you, no, you, you guys are missing the point. Can you imagine that happening today? That'd be appalling, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be appalling? Would you just be, I, that, I'm appalled by that. I can't believe that they did that. How could they show up at church and do that? And there's been such a push in America to get away from that and to get away from even having even a hint of that, even in a, the communion service, that there was a guy uh, uh, several years ago named Thomas Bramwell Welch, who in his push to get a, a readily available grape juice for communion, it caught on, and now you have Welch's grape juice, right? 
There's some push in that direction. In fact, some of you, in your desire to make sure that you never break the command, get drunk, you have gone as far as you can. You have gone the distance. And I, I can't blame you. I think alcohol can be an extremely dangerous thing. And I think you all agree. And some of you have gone the difference. What uh, the distance? What do you call it? Teetotalism, right? When you absolute abstinence, right? From that no alcohol. But now, I don't want to lose your attention here, and so I'm going to, let me bring out a little wine glass here. And some of you are going, "What's he doing?" I just want to get your attention. Some of us have gone the distance and we say, not a drop. Not a drop. But what was the rest of that verse? Be not drunk with wine, because it's, there's debauchery or excess, some versions say. In other words, it's a word that means there's, there's absolute loss of control. And that's true, drunkenness, isn't there just a loss of control? Don't be drunk with wine, but what was the rest of it? What did the rest of that verse say? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now let's let's think about this for a second. Because when I was talking about that Corinthian church, and I said they were getting drunk at church, doesn't it just, don't you feel appalled by that? Some of us have gone the distance with what God wants, we think, by abstaining entirely, not a drop. But we haven't even considered the rest of the command. Or maybe even the point of the command. Right? Be filled with the Spirit. Now, this isn't talking about spirit baptism, getting the Spirit. When you get saved, the apostles receive the Spirit of God, but then you read through the book of Acts over and over again, and then Peter was filled with the Spirit, and then this man, he was filled with the Spirit. There's something that Paul, and this is written as a command, and we're going to look at what this means, but you have to understand, he says, don't get drunk, but instead do this. And how many of us have thought we've done exactly what God wanted by not doing the first thing, but we haven't even thought about the second thing? Let me put it this way. The replacement to drunkenness in the Bible isn't sobriety. It's to be filled. And that word filled can literally mean intoxicated with the Spirit of God. Consumed with God's Spirit. See, the the replacement to drunkenness, Paul says, isn't just don't be drunk. It's something you're to do. You're to be filled consumed by the Spirit of God. And some of us, we think that we've gone the distance. We, we've done, I am, God, I, Lord, I have done so much for you because I haven't touched a drop in years. I think you might be missing the point. I think this is why so many Christians get kind of a, a bit of a deadbeat reputation. They've gone the distance with giving up, but not gone the distance with filling up with what they're supposed to be filled up with, right? Listen to these words of C.S. Lewis. All right, actually, let me, let me put that up there. You've gone the distance. I was going to have you think about that for a second before we moved on. You've gone the distance with giving up. Maybe this is you. 
You've gone the distance with giving up, but you haven't gone the distance with filling up. Think about that. And some of us, we pat ourselves on the back because, man, my wine glass has been empty for years. Alcohol, I haven't even smelled it. And you've gone the distance. Even though God said, he didn't, it doesn't say don't touch it or don't drink it, don't smell it, don't even look at it. It doesn't say that, it just says don't get drunk. And you go, it says don't get drunk, I want to make sure I go all the way. I'm not even going to look at it. But what about the rest? C.S. Lewis says this. Listen to, listen to this word. C.S. Lewis, you guys know C.S. Lewis wrote Chronicles of Narnia, a Christian writer, thinker. He wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he says this. He says, one of the marks of a certain type of bad man is that he cannot give up a thing without wanting everyone else to give it up. That is not the Christian way. An individual Christian may see fit to give up all sorts of things for special reasons. Marriage, meat, beer, the cinema. But the moment he starts saying the things are bad in themselves, or looking down his nose at other people who do use them, he has taken the wrong, and he puts it the wrong turning, but he's taken the wrong turn. There's a certain type of bad man that can't give up a thing without thinking everybody else should give it up as well. Do you see what's happening? Let me put it this way. You've abstained from something the Bible doesn't command and forgot something the Bible does. Think about it. The Bible doesn't say abstain from liquor ever. Even to pastors, the Bible doesn't say pastors shouldn't have any at all. It says they shouldn't be given to much wine. So some of you, if you've abstained from something the Bible doesn't even command... And forgot something the Bible does command. Be filled with the Spirit. Jesus said it to the Pharisees like this. We're getting ready to have soup, right? So imagine your soup. You're sitting down. And you get ready to take a, a sip of it. Now, I, Charity's not in here, so I can, I can, I can talk about this. Her, her mom made some broccoli soup a couple years ago, and she used fresh broccoli. She'll kill me if she knows I told you the story. Her mother made fresh broccoli soup. Fresh broccoli right out of the garden, right? Well, something you may know about fresh broccoli right out of the garden. <laughs> you guys are laughing. There, there might be a worm in there, too. And I was eating this soup, and she, she, she had it at the Apple Fest, and they, they were serving it to people selling soup. And I said, oh, that soup looks good. And I sat down, and I got a spoon, and I, I went in. There was a worm <laughs> in the soup. I still give her mother a hard time about that. She gets so mad when I do that. I go, are you serving worm soup today? Yes. Oh, she doesn't like that. We're not, don't worry. We're not serving worm soup. But imagine, imagine you sat down to one of our, our pleasant, beautiful soups back there. And you look down and there's a gnat floating in it. Oh. And most likely it probably just landed on the top. And so you might strain it out, right? Listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees. He says this. You've strained out a gnat, and you've swallowed a camel. You've strained out a gnat, but you've swallowed a camel. How much similar is that? Some of us, let me go back to that last statement. You abstain from something the Bible doesn't command, but you've ignored something the Bible does. This verse says, don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. 
And you said, I'm going to go, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to strain out the gnat. I'm going to go even further. But the important part of the command is not the don't get drunk, it's the be filled with the Spirit. Let me give you another example. I want you to picture me in my house, and let's say it's right after Thanksgiving. And uh, we've carved the turkey. And you know how there's that, that big turkey carcass that you have left? Like all, all the meat's gone, just this big. And let's say I pick it up. I, I got the pan. I pick it up, and I, I go over to put it in the trash. And I notice, have you ever done this where you go to throw something away, and you realize as your hands are full that the trash is totally piled full? There's no way that's going in there. Right? Well, I had sons so that I could deal with that issue. And so I, I got this big thing. And so I usually get to that point, and I, I, I yell. Who do I yell for? <laughs> Sam. I yell, Sam, come here. Right? So Sam comes walking in. And, and uh, now I'm, at, I'm holding this pan. It's heavy. There's, you know, the turkey. I'm sitting there holding it. I'm like, Sam, take this bag out of here and put in a fresh bag. Right? Take this bag out put in a fresh one so I can throw this away. There's no way it's going to go in this one. Take this one out put in a fresh one. He goes, okay. He, he takes out the, the old bag. He walks outside. I'm still standing there. Walks outside, takes it all the way out to the trash can, puts it in the trash can, comes back inside, walks into the TV room and sits down. Now, in one sense, he obeyed the first part of the command, but he took it all the way, didn't he? But didn't he miss the point? How much different is this command? Don't be drunk with wine, but, feel, but be filled with the Spirit. What's the point of that verse? Is, is, is Paul trying to make a huge point about drunkenness? No, he's talking about... In fact, the whole rest of this book is talking about what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit of God. And just like if Sam missed the point by not putting it... The big thing was get the new bag in there, right? How much more so? I mean, is this Paul, as appalled as you might be, what, what if... Here... Let's see how appalled I can make you feel, how uncomfortable I can make you feel. Ooh. Oh, my. Oh, James. You would be appalled. I can't believe he has wine in the church. What in the world? He'd be appalled. I can't believe it. But how many of you today... Well, wait. Let me... Let, can I open it up here? Oh, great. There we go. What if I open up this bottle of wine in the church? <gasps> Is he actually doing it? What if I pour some in this glass? Look at there. Now, oh. do you feel appalled yet? you feel uncomfortable? Now, I want you to think about something. What if I start drinking this and I got drunk at church? Would you be appalled? But how many of you have not done anything to be filled with the Spirit of God? But you think you've done something because you haven't touched a drop. I think you're missing the point. I think you're missing the point. The big question about being filled with the Spirit, you might think is this. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does that mean? Or you might think the big question is, how do you, how do, you do this? How do you get filled with the Spirit? I've got to be honest with you. We, I'd love to deal with those questions. I'll deal with them as we go. 
But I think the bigger question is this. Why haven't you been obedient in this? I mean, you're willing to go the distance to make sure not a drip of alcohol touches your lips, but you're not willing to lift a finger to find out what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. And that's the point of the command. Maybe that's where you're at. Obviously, I can't deal with what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God all in just a few minutes here, but I want to give you a little bit to chew on. Uh, Before we go, I'm going to take about another 10 minutes here just to give you something to chew on this week. And then next week we'll look at it a little bit more in detail, what what, what it means and what it looks like. We're also going to be looking in Sunday school about the Spirit and looking at what the Spirit's role plays in our life. But I think just to give you a hint of something, I think we could go along with this. We could say, first of all, notice the command itself says, be filled. This is what you call a passive imperative. Okay, let me explain what that means. You guys know what the word imperative means? What is an imperative? If I give you an imperative, what am I doing? A command, right? I'm giving you a command. It's a, but this is a passive imperative. Be filled. Right? It's, it's written as a command, but what the, think about that for a second. How can you be filled? That's like if I say, hey, go grow a garden. Now you can go put in seeds. You can water it. You can till the ground. You can do all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, can you grow a garden yourself? No. Who grows the garden? God does. It's the same idea here, being filled with the Spirit. You can't, I mean, the Spirit is a person. You can't make the Spirit do something. But yet Paul gives it his command. You, be filled with the Spirit. It's a passive command. It's a command, but it's passive. Recognize that the Spirit is in control. Now, let me give you a few more things to chew on. If we think about the context of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, we go back to the first half of this. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, We were all made to drink of one Spirit. And so let me say this. The way to be filled with the Spirit is to drink deeply of spiritual things. Drink deeply of spiritual things. See, that's, that's the picture that Paul is trying to paint. See, some people, they drink wine and it intoxicates them. We are to be people who are filling ourselves up with the Spirit. To be ultimately filled with the Spirit, intoxicated by the Spirit of God. Right? Romans 8.5 says this, Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Oops, knocked that over. Lib is on. It's okay. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And this is why you go to church and you read your Bible and you, you're, you're, you're seeking after God. Paul says in another place, he says, Set your minds on things above, not on fleshly, earthly things. Fill your mind up with spiritual, geared things. Think about what God would have you fill your mind with. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, The natural man doesn't welcome the things of the Spirit. And Paul's talking about, in this case, he's talking about the, the teachings of the apostles. The natural man doesn't welcome that. The things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit is, is the, the teachings of the apostles, most of that New Testament. Or in John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus says this. He says, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so the teachings of Jesus are also spiritual in nature. Filling your head up with the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles. 
You can do that by going to church and reading your word, reading the word. But I think it's like a garden, though. You can't manufacture growth in a garden, right? You can do everything right in a garden; it cannot grow. And then you, you got this crazy neighbor that doesn't do anything right, and they have a, a bountiful harvest. Has that ever happened? But like a garden, we can we can set it up. We can begin headed the right heading the right direction. But the spirit is a person who goes where he wants. Luke eleven thirteen says this. Uh, Jesus speaking, he says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so we need to include part of this being filled with the Spirit is, is praying. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Whatever that looks like, Lord, fill me up with your Spirit. Now, like I said, we're going to talk about this some more. I'd like to teach about it some more during Sunday school about being filled with the Spirit. But let me give you four points, and then I'll dismiss you. Number one, get rid of your arrogance because you haven't touched a drop. Some of you, that's, a, that's something you pat yourselves on the back for. Humbly move on to the second half of this command. Now, I'm not saying start drinking. What I am saying is you... If all you've done is go the distance with the first half of this command, you've missed the point entirely. God's goal for you is to be filled up with His Spirit. Not just stop drinking. But don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. So humbly move on to the second half of this command. Pray earnestly for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Start this week. Get up money and say, Lord, I don't... This whole fill with the Spirit thing, Lord, whatever that looks like, fill me with your Spirit. Start asking, hey, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Heavenly Father know how to give the Holy Spirit to the people who ask Him? Right? Start praying this week, Lord, I don't know what, the, I don't know what this is going to mean for me. I don't know what's going to happen. But Lord, I pray that you'd fill me up with your Spirit. I want to be full of your Spirit. Right? I want to drink deeply of your Spirit. And that's the last thing. Drink deeply of spiritual things this week. What I mean by that is simple enough. More important than watching the Illini play, right? More important than any sitcom that's the next episode is spending time with the creator of the universe, reading his word. It's far more important. Spend time this week drinking deeply of spiritual things. Sit down with the Word and just just read it. Read a psalm. Prayerfully read it. Say, Lord, teach me something from your Word today. If you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, it begins by not thinking you've done it all, by just obeying the first half of the command. But move on to the second half. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I do want to thank you, God, for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I know that many of us in this room need to repent. Lord, we've gone the distance with the first half of this command. We, we've gone all the way. It's, it's been as obedient as we could think of. But we've completely ignored the second half the real point in your command. 
Help us this week, Lord, to take, especially those in this room, Lord, I pray that you would especially with those who have gone the distance and, and, and been obedient and said, I'm not just going not, to not, not get drunk, Lord, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to drink at all. I'm, I'm going to get as far away from this as I can, Lord. I pray that you'd be with those this week that that same measure of devotion, they would also point in the other direction to say, I, as, as emptied as I am of alcohol, Lord, I want to be as, that much is how I want to be filled with your spirit. Lord, help me to seek after you and fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you'd be with those in this room that, Lord, if they have not done, that they would repent, Lord, and and turn to you and begin praying this week to be filled with your spirit. And all these things I ask in Jesus' name, amen.